right, we're going to look into the scriptures. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 6. And if you've got a, a string in your Bible or if you've got, uh, go to, you're going to Matthew 7 and then we're going to Deuteronomy 15. When I came to this church seven and a half years ago, has it really been that long? When I came to this, year, this church seven and a half years ago, on my first Sunday when I spoke, I spoke about the heart and opened up with a series about the heart. And we started a version of life groups called heart groups. And my whole life message has always been about the heart. And in one sense, seven and a half years on, it's not changed. And it won't change. Your heart is the center of who you are. It's your inner motivation, it's your inner being, it's that person who you are. It's vitally important. And so in starting this series today called The Blessed Life, I want to say to you that the blessed life is all about the condition of your heart. You will not live the blessed life unless you allow the Holy Spirit to have heart surgery upon you. So right now, will you just pray with me? Holy Spirit, will you do a deeper work in my heart? See, I haven't come by and I don't want to be the pastor who just preaches and we do meetings and we all move on. Actually, I think the series that we're going to do will change your life. If you stick with me over the next few weeks and if for some reason, you know, an elephant sits on your car... Uh, you know, or something unusual happens, you can't make it, make sure you don't miss one of these messages online because if you stay with me over the next few weeks, I want to say to you that your life will be changed. Why else are we here if not to deepen and to progress? Amen? A very famous verse on receiving is found in Luke chapter 6, Verse 38, if you want to turn there. And can I say that it's often used poorly by some on this whole concept of giving and receiving. Let's read it. It's the words of Jesus. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over and poured into your lap. For the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. Have you got your Bible open or you've got your phone there? Please look with me at the context of this verse too, so we can find it's full of meaning. Let's go over to Jesus' most famous sermon in the Sermon on the Mount, which is found in Matthew chapter 7. And we'll read the first two verses there. Of course, Luke 6 is a version of this uh, sermon as well. It's the parallel passage to what Jesus is teaching there. Would you say this with me? Let's read the first line at least. Matthew chapter 7 verse 1. Do not judge or you will be judged. Say that with me. Do not judge okay, or you will be judged. Verse 2. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. Now say this with me. And the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Did you pick that up? 
Let's go back to Luke chapter 6 and, and look at the context of what Jesus says our famous verse in. Go back to Luke chapter 6. Come on, let's have some Bible action today. Luke chapter 6, verse 37. Look at what he says. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and it will be forgiven, and you will be forgiven. Verse 38, our famous verse. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. And here's that phrase again. For the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. I want you to notice something about these passages, that it's, they are about what you give from your heart. They, what the Bible's teaching is, if you give judgment, you're going to get judgment. If you give condemnation, you're going to get condemnation. He's saying, do you, do you give forgiveness? When we hear the words give around the church, we usually hear the word money in our minds. But can I just point out to you that money is not mentioned in this passage. That it doesn't actually say about money per se. It's all actually more about what you give from your heart. You see, the idea of giving is way bigger than just the idea of money. When we talk about and we preach about grace, I, we talk about a God who gave his son. That's a huge message about grace. If you're married today, uh, your marriage is about two people who give to one another, both emotionally, spiritually, uh, cheer each other on, uh, give each other their dirty washing to do, make sure it's done. There's a lot more in marriage, isn't there? There's giving. And so when we talk about giving, it's a lot more than just one dimension of it. But you see, your giving in whatever area it is, is from your heart. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. That's what Jesus uh, taught a little bit earlier. He's saying that if you put your treasure somewhere, your heart will follow that and be attracted to it. And, it, and it's easy. If, if you've got stocks and shares, I don't know whether anybody has here, you, you obviously will check on those because you've invested in them. What you've put your affection upon, what you put your inner motivation on, where you place your heart uh, where you, and what you see as your treasure, your heart will be drawn towards that. And when you give from your heart, that's what you'll get back. If you're a, a judgmental person, you'll get lots of judgment back. If you're a forgiving person, you'll get lots of forgiveness back. If you're, if you're somebody who is a, a generous, did you smile at somebody today? Did, when you smiled at them, what happened with them? Did you get a smile back? I know there'll be one or two instances where you smiled at somebody and you got a grumpy face back, but we know that happens. But in the main, as a principle, when you smile at somebody, something will come back. If you give encouragement, you'll get it back. You know, I, I do some counseling towards parents and so on, and, and some parents often will come to me and say, I don't know why my kids are so noisy. I don't know why they yell all the time. I don't know why they're shouting. And then you see them and say, be quiet, sit down. 
I can give you a clue why your children are shouting. If you give yelling, you'll get yelling back. Settle down and be quiet. That's why I'm being so loud. Okay, I'm picking up the message here. What you give, you get back. Who's ever heard this phrase? You reap what you sow. If you give judgment, you're going to give it back. What you give out, you get back in the same measure. That's what this passage is about. This passage is not the motivation of giving. If I give you a lot, I'll get a lot. You think God wanted to teach us to give from a motivation of greed? Let me share this revelation with you, God says. How to get lots. That's not what this passage is teaching. All of us have a bit of a problem with giving. Some of us think that it's all about circumstances, but whatever you give, whether it be emotions, smiles, judgment, forgiveness, money, possessions, whatever you give, you give from your heart. And it's the problem of our hearts that God is trying to fashion more than anything else. And so let me say it clearly. This scripture, Luke 6 verse 38, is not the motivation for giving, give to get. It's the reward for being generous. And what God is trying to do is trying to fashion your heart more than anything else. So today, let's talk about your heart And let's talk about some journeys and principles that we can move on with in deepening our hearts. Would you turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 15? I want to talk to you just some things that Moses taught the people on how they could have and develop a generous heart. And I've not mentioned it, but we've got a handout on your chair. And if it helps you, it's optional. And it helps you to fill it in as we go along because that keeps your focus. Then fine, you use that. That's just a resource for you. Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 15, and we'll go from verse 7. Follow along with me. Let's do some Bible teaching today. If anyone is poor amongst you and your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land of the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards them. Rather be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. Do you notice something here? That God isn't saying, you know, about your economic ability. He's actually saying, hey, when you see a need, it's a heart issue of what you do. Don't be hard-hearted. It goes on and says it this way. Be careful not to harbor this wicked thought. The seventh year The year for cancelling debts is near so that you do not show ill will towards your needy amongst your, amongst the needy amongst your fellow Israelites and give them nothing. They may then appeal to the Lord against you and you'll be found guilty of this sin. Give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart or a grieving heart might be in your translation. Then because of this, the Lord will bless you in all your work and in everything that you put your hand. 
There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you. Wow. I command you to be open-handed towards your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in this land. If any of your people, Hebrew men or women, you sell them and you, uh, to you and serve, they serve you for six years and in the seventh year, you must let them go free. And when you release them, do not send them away empty-handed, but supply them liberally from your flocks, your threshing floor, from your wine press. Give to them as the Lord your God has blessed you. Remember something. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God bought you back, redeemed you. This is why I give you this command today. I'm just going to talk for a few minutes on four ways that you can develop a generous heart or four principles of heart surgery so that we can deepen ourselves. Number one, deal with a selfish heart. Verse 9 says, be careful not to harbor this wicked thought. The seventh year, the year for canceling debts is near, so I'm not going to show any goodwill to my fellow uh, Israelites. Did you know that every seven years in Israel, they had an economic system where after seven years, all debts were canceled? So if you owed something in the seventh year, they would proclaim it, and they would say, in the seventh year, whatever you owe, that's canceled. I could get into that, couldn't you? How many of you want to go back to that system where in seven years' time, your mortgage is paid off because it's just wiped out. Woo! Come on. I could get into that, couldn't you? But what, what God was saying to them was, if you've come, you know it's the sixth year, and, you, and someone needs something, don't think to yourself, oh man, it's only a year before the debt cancellation year, and so I'm not going to lend them any money because I know I'm not going to get my money back. God's saying, don't be like that. Don't harbor that thought. Don't be selfish in that way. Jesus said this. He said, things from your heart spoil you. It's the things that proceed from your heart, they come out through your mouth, and the the things, your attitudes, those selfish things, they spoil us. Let me ask you a question. Why do you think that God invented giving? Why would God ask us to give anything? Do you think that he can't afford the running costs of heaven? Is the light bill too high in heaven? I mean, he's only got all that pavement that's gold, surely. You see, God didn't invent giving so that it was about, you know, just getting a bit of extra money for his work. And and I know that's a byproduct, but he invented giving for us. What God is trying to do is to bring us to a heart health situation so that we can defeat selfishness in us. So that we can challenge those feelings, those attitudes that say, I'm holding on. You see, in Luke chapter 6, verse 38, when he says, give and you will receive, it's not teaching that we give so that, it get, so that we can get. You know, it grieves me when people teach that. 
As if God is saying, let me teach you how to give from a motivation of just being greedy to get more. God's not teaching us that. God's saying, when you give, I'll reward you. Whatever you give, if you give forgiveness... I'll reward you. If you give emotional support, I'll reward you. If you give your time, I'll reward you. If you give your money, I'll reward you. He's saying there's a reward in giving. Well, that's not the motivation for it. In fact, it's important, isn't it, for all of us to remember that, that God loves it when, when, we're, when we're generous and we share. And you love that about your kids, don't you? Or if you see children, if you've got nieces and nephews or, or friends who've got kids, you know, have you ever walked in to, to home and your, your children are sharing and you're so proud of them? You know, that, you know they, oh, you can, you can have Barbie and you can have whatever they play with today and you can have this and please come and find my Pokemon and all of that stuff, you know, they're sharing. Have you ever walked into your kids like I did one time and my, my daughter's holding 20 toys going, mine, mine. They're all mine. You know, it doesn't make me proud as a dad. It's the same with you. It's the same with you. If you clutch and hold and you're selfish, then what God, God is not proud of that. I have to say, when we go out as a team and the BCC staff team, I am the worst for food envy. The team will tell you, that, that when we go out to a restaurant, I'll order my food, they'll order their food, and then I'm looking over going, wow, I wish I'd had that. Do, do you do that? Does anybody else do that? Do you suffer from food envy? Pastor Nick, the other day, he purposely ordered the exact same meal as me just so I wouldn't be envious about his. He said, I'm, I'm ordering exactly the same so you won't look over to me with those eyes of yours going, oh, can I have that? And we all get that way, don't we? Although, I have to say to you, men, who's with me? My food is my food. It's not for sharing with your wife or your girlfriend. Can I hear an amen, men? What is it about women that want to share your food all the time? And, and by the way, here's an unwritten rule. When you go to KFC... If you, say, if you say, no, I don't want any fries, I, I, I take that as my fries are my fries. You're not sharing my fries. <laughs> if you want some fries, I'll order you some fries. I don't want you sharing my fries. And, he, and, and another thing, while it's on the my mind, <laughs> all the fries at the bottom of the bag are my fries. <laughs> they are my fries. We had a bag of Revels last night. I love Revels. I love Revels. The only one I don't like in Revels is the chocolate raisins on the inside. I don't like chocolate raisins. So, you know, Christmas presents beware. And, and Kathy just assumes those Revels are my Revels. And I, I'm sharing them so she can eat the chocolate raisins up of them. Kathy's helping herself. She's having my coffee, my orange, my toffee. And I'm thinking, those aren't your revels. Those are my revels. We all get like that sometimes, don't we? Although, can I be honest? I just think God doesn't really want men to share their food. I'm not sure that he does. But we all get like that, don't we? And what God's trying to do, the reason that he invents giving is to defeat selfishness within us. 
it's really important that we begin to go beyond our good selves. Second principle, not only deal with a selfish heart, but God said to, in Deuteronomy here, let's deal with a grieving heart or a grudging heart. In verse 10, he said, give generously to them without a grieving or a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. Wow. Look at that for an enormous promise. Just listen to it just one more time. If you get it right in this area, God will bless you in everything else. If you're generous with your heart, your time, if you don't grieve over what you've given. Some, some, someone once said, we were born selfish, we're born again generous. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 and 7 says, each one should give what you've decided in your heart, but not reluctantly or under any compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. Have you ever invited somebody around to your house and you regret it? Come on, let's just be honest a little bit. Ah, oh, come for dinner. Sure, I will. Oh, no. And you've grieved over what you've given. Or you've given it grudgingly. Has that ever happened to you? What happens to us is, before we give, we get attacked by selfishness. No, I don't know whether I want to release that. But after we've given, we can be attacked by grief or remorse or a regret that we gave it in the first place. And that happens in churches sometimes. And let's just have an honest conversation because some people have put you under pressure to give when you didn't really want to give. And, and pressure has come your way. Your giving should always be a considered faith walk and a result of your relationship with God. Nobody else's pressure. Your giving should always come out of an encounter with God. Some people often, they get what, what salesmen call buyer's remorse. You know, they buy something on a whim and then they regret it afterwards. And did you know that uh, 30% of, of larger items are taken back two weeks after they have been bought? Because it's something called buyer's remorse. When you're buying something like big, like a car or a house, or, a, or you're investing, you know, the big fridge with the ice dispenser. Okay, none of you like that, okay? The best way to do that is to weigh up the ongoing costs and not just see if you can afford it off the first bit, but to do your research, take your time, and when things that are bought slowly that are big, you don't suffer as remorse. Take your time. See if you, can keep, if you can run that car. See if you can afford to insure that car. See if you can afford to insure that house that you're thinking of buying. And when, if you can do the ongoing cost, then that's a good thing to do. After consideration and research, that's how to buy a large item. Don't walk into Sainsbury's and buy their next car or whatever on a whim. Do Sainsbury's sell cars? <laughs> Arnold Clark then. But how do you cope with the grieving side of giving? Sometimes there's a grieving side to buying. But how do you cope with the grief when you decide to give something? 
hey, you know what? Actually, as I'm standing here today, I'm due to take some people out to lunch today, and I've just remembered. Isn't it funny what you remember when you're preaching? Something's just popped into my mind. I forgot my wallet. I forgot my cards. I forgot my cash. I've forgotten absolutely everything. So, oh, wow. Thank you. Let's hear it for Paula here. Paula, that was a cricket ripple because everybody was wishing that they sat next to you. I noticed you guys didn't get up very quickly over here. And by the way, I'm only taking Kathy out for lunch, so this is going to really be a good lunch, isn't it? 50 pounds worth. Some of you are thinking, 50 pounds on lunch, what a waste. It's never a waste for you, dear. Never a waste. Actually, you know what? This 50 pounds is mine. I said to Paola just before service, I said, hey, Paola, would you help me illustrate something? This wasn't Paola's money. This has come out of my bank account, from my wallet, into hers. And I said to you, when I ask for it back, can I have it? And that's exactly what God's trying to teach you about your money. It's not yours. So in a way, Paola, are you grieving that you give me this money? Because it wasn't yours in the first place, was it? Sarah's grieving. She wanted you to announce. (laughs) Hey, this is the teaching. We need to gain a fresh perspective that we are not the owner of that which we have. We are the steward of that which we have. We don't own our money. We're just returning it to the one who gave it to us in the first place. We don't own uh, the things that we have. We are managing them and, and putting them in safekeeping for the one who gave it to us in the first place. Come on, let's give the Lord praise. We grieve because we think and we thought that it was ours in the first place. Listen, we need to gain a fresh perspective of managing and stewarding rather than owning. We manage what we have. We steward what we have. We don't own it. You're caring for it on behalf of God. And that's why he's saying to you, be a good steward, because that's mine. Psalm 24 verse 1 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, and the world and all who live in it. So we have to steward our family, we have to steward our children, we have to steward the people around us, because they are all God's. And particularly with our finances, God gave it in the first place, we just return it back to him. That's why we don't grieve over it, because it wasn't ours in the first place. And that's a fresh perspective for me. Number three, if you want to do heart surgery today, let's develop a generous heart. Look at verse 14 in Deuteronomy 15, 15 there. It says, supply to them liberally from your flock, your, fresh, your threshing floor, and your wine press. Give to them as the Lord your God has blessed you. Here the scripture tells us, don't just do the bare minimum. Give liberally. Give more than the need that is presented before you. Don't just get by. Let's renew our minds on this. 
hey, let's just listen to the words of Jesus. I've, you know, sometimes as pastors, we try and illustrate everything. But can I just read you pure red words of Jesus? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Excuse me, Luke chapter 6. And let's read verses 32 through 36 and just hear Jesus' heart on what he's trying to teach us. Luke chapter 6, 32 through 36. We need to understand and remember that we got mercy even before we asked for it. If you love those who love you, Jesus says, what credit is that to you? If sinners love those who love them, even sinners love those who love them. And if you do, do good to those who are good to you, then what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. Even the people in the world do the bare minimum. And if you lend to those whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you in the family of God? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But for you, there's a different standard. By the grace and power of God, not by flesh and striving. Verse 35, love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and to the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. You know what? I'm in this passage. I was the ungrateful. I was the unmerciful person. Some of you don't know my testimony, but I never went to church. Never thought that church was viable at all. And God came and found me and poured out mercy on me when I didn't deserve it. You see, you can develop a generous heart by understanding what you've received in God. You can develop a generous heart when you think, you know, I want to be like God. And our Father poured out mercy. I think God sometimes sits in heaven and says, when are you going to grow up? When are you going to be like me? It's just great, isn't it, when your children reflect your values or the people in your family. Last thing, let's develop a grateful heart. Look at verse 15 with me. It says this, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. This is why I gave you this command today. Look at this. This is a command. It says be grateful. He's not saying there's an option that, you know, some people have the gift of giving and, and yes, some people do and that's fine. But he's saying for all of us, this is a command that we develop a grateful heart. Remember, we need to never get over being saved. Can you remember the date? I can. Some of you may not be able to, but you know you are now. February the 17th, 1973, at 7.30 at night, in the youth leader's office, I bowed my head and said to the Lord, I come into my heart, Lord Jesus, and he came into my life. I've never been the same since. 
And that was mm, too many years ago to remember. I can't add it up. Can I ask you, have you gotten over getting saved? You know, you've got so much into church politics and this, that, and the other, and what have you, that actually the fact that Jesus died on a cross for us is kind of just an add-on fact that we just kind of think about now and again. I never want to get over getting saved. I am so grateful to God. Those of you who don't know my testimony, I never went to church. I only went for weddings and funerals. And the only reason I went to the, the church bit in the wedding is so I could go to the reception and get the free food. Church had no meaning to me until a brave school teacher said, Mark, there's a purpose beyond this life. You're the captain of the running team. You're very popular in school. But all of your destiny will not mean anything unless you come to Jesus. I am so grateful that I've come to Jesus. How many of you have had this happen to you? That you give somebody something for free, and, and you give it to them, and they're grateful at first, but then when you keep giving it to them, after a while they take it as their right to have it? Has that happened to you? This can be a code word for teenagers sometimes. <laughs> Although... Bless God, I think our youth are really doing a great job. But you know, you give somebody something and they go, oh, that's really great. You give it to them and then after a while, they become just so used to it that they begin to think, well, I, I just own it now. I never want to get like that with my salvation, do you? I want to have a grateful heart. What do you reward in your children? Or what do you reward in each other? Is it greed or gratitude? I've had some great presents from my children over the years. I really have. My children have bought me lots of presents, thoughtful presents, and 90% of them have been useless at Christmas. Dad, one time my daughter Lydia, she bought me a video rack. Yeah. But I was so pleased that she researched it herself, saved up for it for herself, bought it herself and gave it to her dad because she loved her dad. And I made the best fuss of it, saying, this is great, this is the best thing I've got. What do you think God does for you? Does God reward the fact that we take him for granted or does God reward gratitude? By the way, Lydia, if you're listening online, I really did like that video rack. God's no different. He rewards it when we're generous. So if you ask me today, does God bless givers? I want to say to you, yes, he does. But those promises were not given to entice you to give more so that the church gets more money. Those promises are there to free your heart from greed to release you from your self-orientation, to grow your heart, so that the things that spoil you, the grief, the grudging, are moved out of your life so that you can be a bigger and enriched person and full of Jesus. He puts them there for the sole purpose of changing your heart. He teaches us to be generous, not so that we can amass more, so that our hearts become set free. 
When you come to a place where you give from a free heart, then you are well on the way to living a blessed life. Would you please stand with me for a few moments? I'm going to ask Natalie just to come. And as you're standing, would you turn to your neighbor and say, have a free heart and live a blessed life. You see, because God's issue is your heart. Do something with me. If you'll just close your eyes and raise your hand with me just for a moment. Would you pray this with me? Ask the Lord, Lord, what are you saying to me about my heart? Do you, Lord, want to do a work of generosity in my heart? Just come and lift your hands with me and just say, Lord, touch my heart. You know, while you're, you're praying, you know, one of the best things, obviously you can see that we've, we've had a new carpet and we, we're going to get new chairs. But you know what the thing I'm most excited about is? Is that there are five other ministries that want our chairs and we get to give them away and bless them. There's a church that wants 200 of them. There's another church, uh, Teen Challenge, wants 300 of them. There's another church that wants 175. There's a smaller ministry that wants 25. There's a businessman in the church that wants 10. There's, uh, I'm just so pleased we get to give stuff away because it's a testimony to the fact that we can help others. And that's what this church is placed here for, to be generous. So would you ask the Lord, deepen your work of generosity in my heart, Lord. Come on, pray it with me. I want it to be deeper in my heart. Hey, I'd love to pray for you today. I'd love our prayer team and our elders to pray for you today. Actually, on whatever issue or need that you have, any area whatsoever, should we ask the generous God to help you? And not about, we're not just talking about giving now, but if you're sick or you've got anything or you're seeking a job or anything at all, I believe that no matter what your issue is, the generous Father wants to touch you, bless you. So I'm going to ask Natalie to lead us in a song. And as I tell you what, as soon as she starts singing, if you would like to come and receive prayer over anything, actually, if you're stuck, the generous God wants to touch you and bless you. Amen. Let's sing together, shall we? And if you would like prayer, just start coming forward. That's great.